Bandwidth, her Priority One podcast, is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. You're listening to episode 171 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, April 24th, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming as of Monday, April 28th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Cookie. I'm Jace. And I'm Elijah. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Well, Elijah, tell us what we have in store this week. Well, Captains, this week we conclude our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, as he discusses the latest featured episode, Surface Tension. So, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you haven't played the mission, you may want to pause this episode and come back to it later. This week, we trek out some information about Star Trek licensing that we believe is seriously hurting our beloved franchise. In Stone News, we'll review some of the amazing content that hit Star Trek Online with Season 9. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations, helping us to reach our monthly financial goals. We're all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, with hosting fees, and to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location throughout the year. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In his latest subspace communique, Wesley Garris offers players a thorough walkthrough of the new Undine Assault. Also, in his written Foundry reviews, Chivalry Bean offers his review of Once Upon a Time by Zero S. Armira. Check out these blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at STOPriorityOne. We're hoping that every Sunday evening, roughly around 9 p.m., Eastern, 10 p.m. Eastern, we'll be taking to twitch.tv for live playthroughs of Star Trek Online, hosted by the cast and crew of Priority One Podcast and the Priority One Fleet. Subscribe to our channel at twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. Well, Captains, let's check out how a lot of red tape and split licensing could be hurting our beloved Star Trek franchise. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. In a recent article from The Wrap, written by Brent Lang, the final straw that seems to have broken J.J.'s back 
was the licensing disaster between CBS and Paramount. According to his unnamed source, Lang writes, competing ambitions between Paramount, CBS, and Abrams production company Bad Robot over merchandising surrounding the first film led the director to curtail plans to turn the series into a multi-platform experience that spanned digital entertainment, comic books, and television, according to this individual with uh, knowledge of the dispute. According to that same source, the studio wanted to please Bad Robot, but it was allowing CBS to say yay or nay when it came to what happened with the Star Trek products. The article goes on to write, the production company did market research, Bad Robot did market research, and found that there was brand confusion between Abrams' rebooted Enterprise crew and the one starring William Shatner and DeForest Kelly. So, why do I bring this up? Just a few weeks ago, I what were we talking about? I don't even remember what we were talking about. That there was a licensing separation between Paramount and CBS is doing nothing I think is doing nothing but harm to our beloved Star Trek franchise because we are of an age a multi-platform age right we are we're on our phones we're watching TV we're on our computers we're playing games there are several different avenues of content consumption for us right so when Paramount is trying to do one thing but CBS has to kind of oversee that and say yay or nay on something all that's going to do is stymie growth stymie development of a franchise that we know and love so why 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 do that you know uh it's it's i think it's doing nothing but harming the star trek franchise to have the licensing separate between paramount and cbs the article does explain how that how that licensing works what i had heard is that uh i heard maybe six or seven months ago i heard that uh CBS essentially saved what could have been a, a disaster for Star Trek in this exact in, in the exact same thing that your article's talking about. Because my understanding of the situation is that J.J. Abrams and his production company did realize there was um, brand confusion between the new Trek and the original series, and they wanted CBS to stop all original series uh, product uh, licensing. They wanted to just wipe the original Star Trek off the face of the planet so that they could make room for the new version. I I don't get how anybody could be confused. I don't understand the confusion. So here's how it boils down. According to the article, Star Trek's licensing and merchandising rights are spread over the two media conglomerates with competing goals. The rights to the original television series from the 1960s remained with CBS after it split off from Paramount's corporate parent, Viacom, in 2006. While Paramount, the studio, retained the rights to the film series, CBS also held on to the ability to create future Star Trek TV shows. So you just you said that that what you heard was that CBS saved it because you're right because because Paramount wanted CBS to stop. Well, no, not Paramount. Bad Robot. Bad Robot and Abrams wanted um, wanted CBS to stop selling or stop brand confusion by eliminating the original series to make way for their their version, which would have meant more money for Abrams and his crew, of course. And CBS, because Paramount didn't own the rights, Paramount probably would have said yes, because they wanted the money too. But all product divisions go through CBS. So they had to approve it, and they said, hell no. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. We make, you know, multi-million dollars per year off of 
the original series and you know all the products that go out and all the mugs all the t-shirts merchandising merchandising and they, they said no we're not going to do that you know we're happy to to sell more products and sell the new trek stuff you know we'll make products we'll approve products but we're not wiping out the original trek to do so Right. That's what this article says. It says, right. to quote the article, it says, Bad Robot went to CVS and asked them to cease production on original series products so consumers wouldn't have to choose between buying something with William Shatner's face on it and something with Chris Pine's face on it. But who would get confused by those two faces? They don't look alike. I mean, they kind of do, but it's like, you can tell. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, which one is this? I don't know. It's just a bad argument. I mean, really what it is, this article is, is uh, kind of... I haven't read it to be honest, but uh, from what I understand from the situation is it's Abrams greed. I mean, he just he wanted the original Trek gone so that they could make more money by selling nothing but their product. I don't know that. Mm, I don't know that that's that's to, to paint it in such a dark picture. I don't know that that was really the case. I think that there is in fact a bit of of brand confusion between the original series and the uh, the new JJ verse, right? I, there's no doubt that there's there's brand confusion because I think when people go to the store to try to read and, and follow up, they, they have to do it in reverse than what we know, right? We know that we went from Prime Universe to now JJ-verse. But now people new to the franchise go, wait a minute, so is is Chris Pine really Kurt? And so they have to – they're learning it in reverse. Like I said, it takes them more time to figure out what's going on than our listeners ourselves that know what happened. So there is that bit of brand confusion that I think hurt uh, the the JJ universe. I'm talking about, and I'm not even talking about story. I'm not talking about you know the characters themselves. I'm not talking about anything of that. I'm just talking about, for instance, possibly seeing a new television series, possibly seeing a, a better video game, possibly seeing uh, multi-platform tie-ins. Things that you know what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen. JJ is going to have free reign over Star Wars, and we're going to have Star Wars action figures, Star Wars the lunchbox, Star Wars the flamethrower. The kids love it. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. They are going to, Star Wars is going to, unfortunately, shadow Star Trek. It's going to shadow Star Trek, because there is none of this back and forth between two companies that own essentially the same thing. Disney owns it. Disney owns Star Wars. That's it. That's, that's all there is to it. Bad Robot doesn't have to worry about anything. If they say, we're going to do a video game, they're going to do a video game, and they're going to do it right. They're going to do it amazingly. But I trust Disney to manage that franchise really, really well. I mean, Disney's not new to the... I, I don't think... I don't think they're going to give Abrams overall control over, over those products, because if anybody knows product development and uh, branding and all that kind of stuff, franchising, it's Disney. I mean... Come on, they've built the biggest empire on that exact premise. There's no way they're going to turn that over to Abrams. But meanwhile, what are we getting from Trek? We're getting, right. what, Mega Blocks or Connects or whatever they are. <laughs> like, we're getting knockoff toys, and half of them are original cast, half of them are new cast, and if you see them on the shelf, they're toys, so you can't really tell at first glance sometimes. And we're, we're getting no TV series. We're getting right. a video game with a multi-million dollar budget that ends up getting, like, 50 scores on Metacritic. Like, J.J. is a red herring here, and if, let's say, somebody awesome got in in his seat when this all started, they'd be having the same exact problem, no matter what right. issue you have with J.J. Mm -hmm. we, we've talked about these licensing issues before, and they're absolutely part and parcel of, of the limbo that we're in with Star Trek. Yeah, I'm not saying that J.J. is going to run off and, you know, put Star Wars in a musical, but what I'm saying is that 
when Star Wars comes out, that thing is going to be freaking everywhere. It's going to be on the console. It's going to be online. It's going to be in the stores. It's going to be everywhere. And there's not there's not going to be any discussion over or confusion as to what verse it is. It's all it's just going to be there. And the merchandising and the saturation for Star Wars is going to be unprecedented. Yeah, there's not going to be that hindrance. The part in the article that I really, it hit me. I was like, whoa. Because I've always kind of been like, why did JJ leave? I know a lot of people don't like him or whatever, but it, I was like, why did he leave? But this quote here, it says, according to the rap, the inability to do everything he really wanted to with Star Trek may have been one of the biggest factors that drove Abrams over to the Star Wars franchise, where it looks like the Walt Disney Company will be more than happy to accommodate all his merchandise-friendly multimedia ambitions for stuff like TV shows, theme park attractions, and more. So, I mean, that makes sense to me why he left. This article paints a much lighter, fluffier picture of what actually happened. I mean, we can't know, though, Skiffy. I mean, we can't know exactly what happened. But at its core, what we're talking about here is the fact that we have our beloved franchise split almost nonsense, really nonsensically, not almost, it's nonsensically between Paramount and CBS. And one of them needs to take control. Yeah. One of them needs to can take control overall and be the guiding force for more Star Trek. Because what's going to happen after the movies? CBS isn't going to develop a TV series. But here we are saying here here the article is suggesting that Abrams wanted to bring Trek to TV. It may not have been a Trek that we might have uh, necessarily appreciated. Right. The purists don't appreciate J.J. Abrams' Trek. But it, it would have been something. It would have been Cheeks. J.J. brings Cheeks in seats that's undeniable. You cannot say otherwise. J.J. knows how to make a, a, a movie that brings people to the theater. And the fact that he was, his hands were tied so much or Bad Robot was, Bad Robot's hands were tied so much. It, it has nothing, I don't care that it's J.J. This could have been anybody. This could have been any director. The issues would have still been present where, you know, Paramount can't do anything without CBS and CBS can't do anything without Paramount which is hurting our franchise. Because when you look at something like Marvel, when you look at something like Marvel Studios, when you look at something like Disney and Star Wars, look at how saturated the market becomes with that franchise, that specific franchise, and everybody knows it. I'm not even a Marvel fan, dude. I grew up, I never liked Marvel. Never liked Marvel. I've always been a DC guy. But, man, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the last several episodes, boy, has that got me in. Uh, the the Avengers movies, the uh, even the last um, Captain America. These are all great films. We are we are saturated by Marvel, and that's what Star Trek should be. But it can't be because you're splitting the the licensing. Because two people, two companies with corporate agendas, own a license to a, a franchise that is near and dear to millions of people's hearts. The discussion is not whether this argument is not whether JJ sucks or not. The discussion, <laughs> the argument here is that the the split of the licensing between Paramount and CBS is hurting our franchise. Cuz we can talk all day long about what Bad Robot did bad and what, you know, uh, they they're horrible. I mean, and at our heart we're an STO podcast, so we're all Prime Universe fans here. We know that. But even STO obviously uh, piggybacked off of the first J.J. Trek 09 with its launch and with having Zachary Quinto and following up on the events uh, leading up to that movie out of Star Trek Countdown. The other thing, too, what I was going to say is uh, not only piggybacks, but we've heard before how Cryptic had the storyline with Romulus still alive. And then all of a sudden, uh, nope, too bad. Uh, Romulus blows up. You have to change your entire story. Mm -hmm. 
Your Marvel example is great, too, because you can see, to a lesser extent, some of the same stuff with the rights to the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and so on, not and the X-Men not being owned by Marvel for film purposes, so not being able to do that level of crossover. Right, right, yeah. You, you Now, you know, the, the, the twins... For the Avengers are the, are different twins than than the ones in X Men, and and that's just all weird. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it's um, and I don't even know. Again, I don't even know much of the lore behind Marvel, but I know these things. I know that Marvel is experiencing something similarly, like you just described. So overall, the license. This is not a discussion about whether or not J J Abrams is the devil. The discussion is that we have a, our beloved franchise is really being held back over this split, this franchise split. It really is, and it, it's, it's something. I don't know. Maybe we should do a petition. Yeah. I don't know. Something's got to happen. Where one of them needs where to sell. <laughs> one of them needs to sell, and the other one needs to buy or buy out because it, it's time that there's universal control, and two separate companies are not are, are not trying to just see dollar signs because that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what? Because I was going to say, like, no matter what, any major corporation is going to want money, but when you have two corporations that own a part of your franchise. And they each want money. All it becomes is a greed fest. It's all right. How can we get the most money out of you know out of the people now that Star Trek? Oh, they're going to buy the Shatner because they're going to get confused with the Chris Pine, and then they're going to go home and they're going to be all disappointed. But too late. We bought the product. You know, like is that is that what we're seeing here? I hope not. I, I really hope I, to I God not. I can't imagine that happening. The success of the J. J. Uh, the Abrams films is going to propel something to to follow in its wake. And I don't know whether that will be a TV show or another series of movies with another director. I mean, they've already promised we'll have Star Trek 3. Uh, but I, I can't think that after they've seen what the Abrams movies can pull in as far as revenue, that greed is going to propel those those companies to find a way to work together. I hope so. I'm kind of done with the original series remakes. I would like something new. New cast, new ship, new, new, new. I don't want to see any more redos of original series. That's just me, though. Or if they're going to keep doing the original series, or there are plenty of stories. Look at uh, look at Axanar, for instance. Axanar is telling the story of the war between the Federation and the Klingon. You know that first war. Uh, that's a great story to tell. Tell that. You know, uh, but Axanar is already doing it. So, <laughs> and that's great. You know, I, d- I don't doubt. I don't doubt at all what Alec Peters is going to be doing with the, that that story. Uh, or the quality of the production. It's it's a strong team that he's got. But, you know, there are, there are other stories. What about the Romulan Federation War, the Romulan Earth War, right? What, what about that? How that what, where'd that turn out? Where did Trip go? Tell me the story about Trip being yeah. a Section 31 agent, you know, and, and that possible outcome to the end of Enterprise. But anyway. Or androids. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, Captains, here is our first community question. What do you think about the reports from this article? Do you think that... J.J. Trek could have been a lot better with several different avenues for immersion. Could Star Wars actually turn out much better than his reimagined Trek just because he doesn't have to worry about jumping through licensing hoops? Again, this is not a discussion about whether or not J.J. Abrams is the devil. So let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the episode's post on the official Star Trek online forums discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about send them over to us via incoming at priority one podcast.com let's check out what happened in stow news computer status report status incoming message i'm only in the mood for good news today 
In Season 9, DevBlog Number 17, Matt Stodecker-Miller discusses Operation Viscous Cycle, a mixed faction, level 50, queued, PvE, attacking the shipyards that are building and launching the planet killers. You have a total of three shipyards to deal with, Alpha, Beta, and Gamma. When you enter each shipyard, you will see three giant tubes that look like Oscar the Grouch birthday cakes with pink Q-tips growing out of them. Coincidentally, the insides of these tubes look like a waxy ear canal. And you will then see three smaller identical tubes. And in the middle of those three smaller tubes on the ground is where the baby planet killer is, but is protected by the maw. This looks like an unopened flower bud. So you have to open it to get to the planet killer. In order to do that, you need to fly into the tubes and you will either see a transporter icon above each of the tubes to beam over your commandos, or you have to attack the maw weak point, and that will open the maw and expose the planet killer. Sometimes you have to do this over and over and over. Once you destroy the planet killer, watch for the undine larvae. They look like little squids. Fire at will and cannon spread are recommended for this. There are optional objectives that can earn you more marks, such as reuniting a baby Geckly with its mother, defeating a Borg raiding party, or killing a planet killer that spawns during the final shipyard attack. And you're also rewarded for the number of undine larvae you kill. You receive your choice of either undine or fleet marks, and this can be done on normal or elite. Fun fact! You probably have noticed that when you enter into fluidic space, your ship rocks back and forth and is thrown around a lot. So this dev blog mentions that the more you advance in the Undine Reputation, or the 8472 counter command, the more control you have over your ship. So that's something to look forward to. So Cookie, so what's your overall, uh, re, you know, what's your overall opinion of the mission? Okay, I liked it. So I did it, I enjoyed it, on normal. When I tried it in Elite, though, whoa-ho-ho-ho-ho! It, it, I, I died probably between five to ten times. I didn't keep track. But it wasn't like one of those deaths where it was slow and you could see it coming. It was like I was at 100% and then like two seconds later I was dead. It, it was like I, there was no way. So I don't know how, I don't know. The Elite I am not a fan of. I'm not ever probably going to do it again. But the normal is fun. But the last phase, it's so irritating because you have to keep reopening the maw like it only opens for like five seconds and it closes and you open it again and it closes and you open it again and it closes and it's so annoying but other than that it was fun all right i'm i unfortunately have not had the opportunity of, of checking this one out this pbeq out yet so that's not the only piece of content that's been out uh skiffy you and cookie also had the opportunity of playing the new ground pbeq why don't you talk to us a little bit about that this is the undine infiltration the one where you go to bajor and you have to interview Bajorans, which I was not too excited about. Uh, however, I think, I don't want to speak for you, Cookie, but I think we kind of agree that it was a lot more fun than we expected it to be. Yeah, because I like puzzles and investigating and stuff. Although, we both noticed that the second time we did it, we did it first on normal and then we did it on elite. I went to the same people to see... Wait, 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 wait. On elite, they use... 12th grade grammar, but in normal they use 6th grade grammar. <laughs> no? I told you! The difference we discovered between normal and elite, uh, in our experience, we only ran it twice together, but in our experience, the 
the interviewing portion where you have to determine if uh, who you're talking to is an Undian or a Bajoran, that was exactly identical. I mean, the people yeah. I ran into had the exact same clues and exact same conversation, and it was mm -hmm. the exact same outcome. That might have been just a fluke. Maybe they have three or four different versions of this, and we just happened to have queued into the same one, but I haven't had a chance to test that. But normal and elite, we did one of each, and the the interviews were the exact same, but the combat on elite took a lot longer. Yeah, but it was still doable. It wasn't, I never died, and I didn't have the same problems that I did with the space. But the Undine investigators, basically, here's a tip, well, this is what I think. If they, if you're the person you're talking to keeps shifting their head back and forth and looking around, they're probably Undine. <laughs> <laughs> all the Undine ones did that, and all the Bajorans just dared straight at you. The main complaint about this, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It, it didn't take a, a terribly long time. The Elite one did take longer in the combat portion. There's a part after the interviews where you go into a cave and you have to fight, uh, in, uh, fight in an Undine cave. Um, the main complaint I had is that the rewards on the Elite is way, way lower than I think it should be. It was like 10 marks higher. That's about it. Yeah. I, I think we got, what was it, tw about 25 to 30 on normal, and we got, was it 50? Oh, yeah, no, it was only it was 35 30 on something. Elite. Yeah. yeah, 35 on Elite. So that's, uh, and we did pretty well on the Elite. We didn't uh, we didn't miss any of the optional objectives, uh, and we only had one negative mark for sending a wrongfully accused Bajoran to his, to his death, I guess. But they're really easy. It's really easy to figure it out. I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> so it's that's that's usually something that you can to totally get. Well, this is kind problem. of interesting because this almost makes it sound like they are trying to give some more interesting and a little bit easier ground content because frankly the Borg STFs on Elite are very punishing if you don't know what you're doing. It's very easy compared to that, yes. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, this is um, probably as close as we're going to get to a, a diplomatic kind of PvE queued mission. There is still combat. I mean, you're not going to get out without shooting something. But uh, at least the first half of the mission is uh, com very combat light, and it's uh, it's more dipl more diplomacy. I think they should be awarding uh, diplomatic uh, commendation yeah, XP, CXP for it, but uh, they don't. But that's, they could always add that in. That would be nice. But yeah, um, uh, all in all, I think everybody should try it. I mean, I, I had my reservations about the Bajor mission, but give it a try. It, it actually turned out to be a little bit of fun. Probably not as replayable as uh, other PvE queues, but uh, it'll it'll be fun while people are queuing for it. <laughs> That'll last about a month. Up next in content released with Season 9 uh, is the Undine versus Borg story arc that has seen a complete remastering. Uh, now, I haven't fully finished it, right? I, I think I got as far as assimilation. I have not yet done the last uh, uh, in the series Fluid Dynamics. But uh, I've got to say, it, it was really impressive. Um, once you're on, I think it's an assimilation, right? Uh, when you're hunting down the abomination that is a Undine Borg hybrid, um, you see, there's, there's some beautiful environment work. Some beautiful environment work. Things that I, I don't know that I want to spoil for you but, oh man, it's just evil. You walk into this, there's this one room, it's a, labor, a laboratory, essentially, the Borg lab that complete, that, you know, where they did things to the Undine, unspeakable things to the Undine, uh, and you see some unspeakable things. So we don't want to ruin it for you, but what we can say, uh, and what I want to say is kudos to the entire team for um, rebuilding these missions. Assimilation is, is great. 
Um, I, I'm looking forward to finishing the the, the arc with Fluid Dynamics, um, but kudos. It's, it's great. It's fun. I did notice that um, uh, Undine are really hard to kill. Yeah. They weren't kidding when they said they buffed their health for having uh, no shields. And I can see the regeneration happening. If I stop shooting, their health goes back up. But uh, the environments for all these missions are improved. Where Angels Fear to th- Tread, they use the environments from the Tal Shiar missions that were introduced with um, Legacy of Romulus. So when you go onto the Tal Shiar ship, it actually is a Tal Shiar ship inside. In a Gathering Darkness, you have new planetary art. That thing is friggin' scary when you go to the assimilated board planet. Oh, right? And animated, too. It's it's reactionary. So yeah. you walk up to a cliff and these these pillars, these, like, sp- spears, they come out of the ground, I guess, to try to stop you from jumping over. But these spears come out. They, they react to you. And the cables, the, the board cables and conduits that burst through the mountain, uh, that's that was a nice touch, a real nice touch. And I like how they incorporated this into the new storyline. So someone playing through from the very beginning of the game on now gets to meet certain characters earlier that become important later. So they lay that foundation. So, yeah, kudos to the entire team. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Kept my attention the entire time we did it. I had the opportunity of running this mission on Sunday, April 20th during our live twitch.tv broadcast. And, again, you can uh, join us every Sunday night at twitch.tv forward slash priority one um, for some content overview as we game together. All right, so we, we covered season nine, dev blog number 17. We talked a little bit about um, some of the mission content, including the revamp. Uh, we have yet to talk about the featured episode, but before we move on to the featured episode, we're gonna we're gonna sandwich this a little bit. Um, we're gonna we're gonna start high. We're gonna now talk bad things, and then we're gonna talk good things again. So this is a a, a sandwich. So we've got season nine dev blogs number eighteen and nineteen that introduce to players the new Undine lockbox and Lobby store ships. This lockbox has stirred a lot of emotion in the Star Trek Online community uh, because of its contents. In this new lockbox and lobby ship, a captain can get their hands on a Nacor bio warship. What's a Nacor bio warship? It is an Undine ship. Two Undine ships are now available to captains uh, via these lockboxes and, and lobby ship store. Um, this is weird. Okay, but before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the specifications for for these ships. Um, one is more or less a um, agile cruiser, and the other one is more of a destroyer. So the Nikor Bio warship uh, accounts for the bulk of the Undine fleet, according to the Stow Dev blog. Uh, it's got uh, four forward weapons, four aft weapons, three device slots. Uh, you've got one commander tactical, one lieutenant engineer. One Lieutenant Commander Science, one Lieutenant Commander Universal. Uh, you've got five tactical consoles, two engineering consoles, three science consoles. Uh, turn rate, 14 degrees. That's that's pretty sharp. Um, this ship will give you plus 10 to weapons power and plus 5 to engine power. That's pretty handsome. Um, it can equip dual cannons, and it does come with a universal fluidic energy focusing ray console. Uh, and it's got its own improved health regeneration, right? Because it's a bio ship. It's mean. It is incredibly fun. Yeah, I mean, that plus 10 to weapon power, man, that's 
That's simp- that's handsome. That plus the uh, five tac consoles, if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This, and you this... can use your universal as a second tactical slot and still have Lieutenant Commander Science for grav wells or whatever. That's a that's a it's a pretty strong ship. Plus, it can load heavy cannons. But can it turn? Fourteen degrees per second. That's not bad at all. That's good. So then you have the Dromaeus Biocruiser, and this is the one that's available at the Lobby Store. Uh, this. This one has a whole strength of 42,000. Four device slots, four forward weapons, four aft weapons, one lieutenant tactical, one commander engineering, one lieutenant commander sp- uh, science, and one lieutenant commander universal, which is the same as the previous one, correct? Well, no, the, the tactical and engineering are swapped. So instead of lieutenant engineering and commander tactical, this one has commander engineering yes, and lieutenant I tactical. I see, I see. Uh, so this one actually has three tactical consoles, four engineering, and three science. Uh, it's much slower with 11 degrees per second. I mean, not much slower, but certainly slower. Again, improved hull regen. Uh, this one only has plus five all subsystem power. Uh, I don't know. That one's not... This one, the, the Lobi, surprisingly to me, doesn't feel as handsome as, as the lockbox ship. Um, that might be by design, but uh, for it being a cruiser... I don't know that plus five all subsystem power will do as good as plus ten to weapon power and plus five to, five to engine power. Uh, it's pretty common for cruisers to have plus five to subsystem power across the board like that. The Lieutenant Commander Universal on top of the Lieutenant Commander Science is going to allow for a lot of versatility because you can really load this ship up with whichever of the three you prefer. It, you can make it unusually tactical heavy for a cruiser. You can make it really sciencey, or you can double up on engineering, and it's, it has a higher turn rate than most cruisers. So not only that, but these things also are coming with that self-healing hull, right? That that bonus to hull regen, and that's uh, that's not bad. Uh, the fluidic console set bonus. Uh, equipping both consoles will grant the Undine vessel the ability to negate the weapon power cost associated with firing the focused fluidic beam. Without this bonus, activating this power beam weapon will drain 50 weapons power from your vessel so that's that i mean using that that's i mean for that one console i don't know that's okay um so the you know the nikor is definitely a handsome both of them are handsome ships um immediately as a tactical officer i'm thinking ooh, the nikor um other things in the lockbox include um new traits so, for instance, you can get yourself uh, immunity response for the ground. Uh, really, the only one that caught my eye, I think, was the fluidic cocoon for space, which, when hit by kinetic damage, you have a chance to increase your outgoing energy damage for several seconds. This effect can stack up to three times. So that passive trade on, on, um, for your captain, that's not too bad. The kits see are very... Um, Undine focus. This is a, this is super undine focused, right? So here we are again, with new items that are hyper focused to a specific enemy type. With the lockbox, of course, some new uh, tactical kit modules for the new tactical kit gem slotting. You've got new biotech battle armor. Uh, you've got a, a, a wrist lance, which is like a mini planet killer for the ground. Um, there's a lot of again hyper specific gear for this lockbox. Things that are really only good against the Undine, if that. Um, Alright, so let's let's get to the point of contention here. Let's get to, to, to why this lockbox... Yeah, let's get to why this lockbox is, is such a big deal. So, in the past, lockboxes have 
been in some way, shape, or form acceptable, right? The the probably the the the, the most out of box thinking box ship for the okay. Perhaps the most um, immersion breaking ship for the lockbox might be the Jem'Hadar, right? The Jem'Hadar ships. They're immersion breaking, right? And and hard to believe is because the Dominion were and are still an enemy of sorts, right? But there was a story behind it. They they went out of their way to tell a story as to how we got a hold of the Dominion ships. So, for instance, when the Dominion uh, escort came out, right, that that escort, there was a big story about it. There was, you have to go hunt it down, you have to go find it, and you have to, you know, they, 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 they I think there was even a mission about it, if I don't, if I recall correctly. They had a, there was a DOF mission series that in, involved, like, finding the derelict ship, examining the derelict ship, and it tied into the 2800 featured episode series. Right, right, right. So, a lot of, it, it, okay, so it made, no, the Federation technically wouldn't, shouldn't be flying around in, in Jem'Hadar enemy ships, but there was a story behind it, right? These, this was a, a war long past, and these derelict ships were found, and you can pilot it. All right, I get it. It, you know, a stretch, but we got it. Uh, other ships came out, like the Tal Shiar adapted destroyers. Now, these were adapted destroyers. So this was Borg technology adapted onto a ship like Nero's ship, right? Like Nero's, uh, I forget the name of the ship. Narada. The Narada. Right, so again, not a far stretch from what we have already, uh, what what can easily be believed. Right, the Romulans adapted Borg technology. Uh, what other alien ships have there been? Um, the big one for me, uh, talking about him, true of the Alachi also. Um, the big one for me with immersion is the time ships. You see, that one doesn't even bother me so much either, because the Doctor on Voyager had the hollow emitter from the future, so. Isn't there a Tholian ship? You know what? Then never mind. This argument is null and void. Then I was we keep say, flying. I, I don't know. I don't know how far you're going to go with this because I mean, there's been so many different you're right, lockbox you're right. ships, and at some point you just have to kind of throw up your hands and say, you know, they do the best they can with uh, with making a story for it. There is a little bit of a story with the Undine one. It's certainly not as in depth as the Dominion one, but uh, this is where gameplay and and the need for them to make money so they can stay in business. Uh, kind of, no, not kind of, definitely trumps the immersion and the lore. Yeah, all right. The the Undine are, they're currently the big bad, right? Other than Iconians, they're the big bad. So I don't frankly, think they're going to stay that way. No, but they exceed the Borg in being the big bad in STO anymore. But, you know, we're not flying around in, in cubes and spheres and probes. Um, I, I do yet. think... I would, I would totally do that if I could. And, and Elijah, you, your own point was that, you know, we didn't even get the usual throwaway line of, oh, the Lobby Consortium has acquired so many ships. And, you know, these are really, yeah, I just I, I just looked, I didn't see They're not it. in there. They're not in 18 and 19. They They're talked not. about, somewhere I read that the Lobby no. Crystal Consortium, they, they are getting these from the division of Undine that Voyager met with, who are a subset faction that don't necessarily agree with... Uh, with the the general, you know, Undine. What? Consensus. Where have you read this? Where that was in one of the dev. Not in eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen or nineteen, which introduced the the Undine lockbox and the ships, say nothing about Lobby Crystal Consortium. Nothing. See, that's great. I I like that if that's somewhere, but I I literally just read these while Elijah was talking to make sure that we didn't miss it. When when these ships first came out, there was a great deal of contention because of the fact that 
there was very little story, and here we are, a, a whole season, an episode has been made, and the Undine have been have been hyped up to be these this unbelievable enemy that that trumps the Borg, right? Um, and here we are flying a bioship. So day one, day one, we're day flying one, a bioship. right? Day one, we're flying a bioship. So it just. It doesn't. It doesn't feel right, right? Like so. You know how I felt. I feel. I feel like Bill Adama did uh, towards the end of season four of Battlestar Galactica, when bat when the Galactica is is falling apart on itself, right? It's about to implode. The 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 beams aren't holding, and so he turns to Chief and Chief, who is a, oh, I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody. Uh, Chief recommends using this uh, Cylon bio, you know. The Cylon bio goo to reinforce the metal. It it will heal the metal. And I remember Bill Adama thinking to himself, "No, I don't want." I remember him saying, "No, I don't want any Cylon technology, you know, in the heart of my ship." Right? The the you know the the ship became a, a character on on Battlestar Galactica in and of itself. So I feel like that with this biotechnology. I don't want any of this biotechnology because the Undine are 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 evil and they just want to kill everything and I don't want any of their bio goo all over me. Well then I invite you to you spend your keys on the the Dominion uh, logbox. You see I don't even use I don't even have that. I don't even use that. I don't even use that. Because I have a problem with flying an enemy ship. I don't even have a problem flying a non-federation ship. It's not that. That's, I don't have a problem with that. Once you put your character in it it's no longer an enemy ship. Uh I don't know. It just it, it, the the uh, let me just say this because he says it no longer becomes an enemy ship. The Enterprise, in and of itself, is a character, right? These ships are characters, just like Picard. Just like, they are, they they have a life of their own, right? We know the Enterprise, we know the Galactica, we know Voyager, right? These are they they are a part of the story, just as and as important as a Picard, a Janeway, an Adama, so. These ships, you know, that's how I reflect in the game. That's or that, that I ref, I use that in my RP, my own little mind RP in the game for my immersion. Right? It's my ship. It's it's another character, like my paper tune on the ground. You know, we have we've already gotten before the before even recording the show a lot of feedback about this topic. So I, clearly, people have strong opinions about it. Well, why don't we talk? So we we did we posed the question onto Facebook because it was a lot of. A lot of heat about the Undine and the lockbox. You know, people were arms in air, you know, slap in the face kind of reaction. Um, so why don't we we highlight some of it? You know, like, for instance, so Sunseal wrote in uh, via the Priority One podcast how, you know, the, the Undine have always been a xenophobic, even germophobic species in, our, in the universe, the, the, the lore, the Star Trek universe. Uh, they hate all life. You know, they, you know, kill the weak. The weak must die. Um, and so... You know the the her problem with the 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 low B ship is that there there is no plot behind it. You know these are bio ships giving us enemy. She writes giving us enemy ships like this just as the season hits. For those that get the ships, doesn't it? It, it starts to cause that a power creep that Cryptic keeps saying it wants to try to to balance. Um, yeah, they're powerful ships, but even with the lore of itself. How 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 are feder- how are human characters from this dimension flying this ship? 
Okay, I, I agree with that, that you would have to, that it's it's not feasible that there would be a human interface for these ships. Uh, but my argument for this day one, the, the argument that day one, you know, having a, uh, a Nikkor on day one, first of all, anybody that hasn't played the featured episode, can you mute your speakers for the next 10 seconds? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, if day one, it's not day one anymore, it's a year later. If you played the featured episode, time the Undine have attacked. It's it's now later, and and now we have the opportunity, or there has been time for the Ferengi to, in theory, salvage whatever ships they found. I'm confused. Hold on a second, because I'm confused about the whole 2409 to 2410. Because in the beginning of the episode, it shows 2410. So the attack on the Joel, on the Janolan Dyson Sphere happened in 2409 that's correct and then it took some time for Tuvok to arrange for the summit yeah but I don't it's not really supposed to be a year later from that it's that all the events of the last seasons have taken place over the course of 2409 so it's maybe maybe supposed to be a couple months later but even that would probably be stretching it a bit still I mean your point is valid because in the featured episode there are some captured Undine ships right wait when when is that in the featured episode Oh, I'm sorry. That was in uh, First Contact Day. The mission on First Contact Day, where you're testing out anti-Undean weaponry. And they say it's because we have captured ships? Yeah, they make kind of a big deal about that we have some captured ships, but, you know, we blow them up in the mission. Clearly, all the elements exist for there to be an in-universe fiction reason why maybe this is feasible. But I I just think they should have connected the dots. I I think that's a missed opportunity. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They should. That's that's a perfect point. They should have connected the dots in that dev blog. You know, just like they did a nice recap with you know season nine with what's what's been going the story so far with this new Undine ship. It might have been nice to have okay and and don't forget that the Federation have captured the core ships before and don't forget that they, because these dev blogs came out and you know there's already there's already sensitivity over the lockbox right there's over lockboxes in general right there's already people with very very big opinions about lockboxes in Star Trek online and wow they're a money grab blah 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 so y- yes in in terms of marketing i think that the the announcement or the release of the undine ships probably could have been could have been done better right because i dude i don't remember last week's podcast you know and so i i completely forgot that we were firing on captured undine vessels during the um uh the anniversary i'm sorry uh, first contact mission and anniversary mission so the story's been there. You're right. And they they just really needed to have connected the dots better so that just like with the Dominion ships, there was story behind it. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say is we, we kind of need to take a step back because in, in two weeks' time, nobody's going to be complaining about this anymore. It will have right, blown right, over. It's right. just going to be a common thing. When Lockboxes first came out, I mean, people were up in arms and oh, planning yeah, to yeah, rage yeah. quit and that that's blown over uh, mm. as they've made the whole free to play thing. and this this happens every single time every new lockbox there's a subset of people that do complain about its contents and uh, uh, it just kind of I mean cryptic needs to make money they have to stay in business and this is the the way they've found to do it and they are definitely capitalizing on the popularity of what content they're releasing so in this case it's it's undie. I mean, we all should have seen it coming. Most people thought it was going to be Undine last time. They surprised right, us with right. Erosion. That came out of left field. That was... Right, right. 
And yeah. I just want to say, Sunseal did say that she is very glad for season nine, and she doesn't. It's not like it's all negative. It's just. Well, Sunseal is a passionate fan. I mean, nobody would even for even people who do forum rage. They wouldn't bother to write that if they didn't care in some way. And a big shout out to people like William Serenone and, and Kyle like Sendviches uh, and everybody who participated in our uh question for this week. Uh, we wanted to get this type of feedback because we knew that the Undine lockbox um, was uh, a topic of controversy on the forums. Um, so a big thanks to everyone you want to, you know, captains, you want to keep in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter uh, so that you can also share your ideas, your opinions with us, and we can talk about them on the show. Um, let's let's go ahead and jump into release notes now. Um, some of the key things that have, that have changed uh, with season nine or have been modified in one way shape or form and and we leave that to you professor sure i just have a few highlights here because most of the release notes are things that we already saw in the triple patch notes over the last several weeks much of which we've already discussed um, however i did pull out three little imp- quality of life improvements i would call them one player ship and bridge officer costumes no longer cost energy credits to customize at the tailor or at the shipyards so all basic costume changes are now free obviously doesn't that doesn't mean all costume pieces are free if it's a c store costume you still need to own it but as far as just going in and changing it up there's no longer that energy credit cost which i think is really cool um, they also resolved finally the issue that would warp you into a completed map for deep space encounters, Borg red alerts, and the Tholian red alert. This is like my favorite little stealth boost that they did. Stealth buff, if you will. Uh, I've been able to go into Borg red alerts, Tholian red alerts, none of that. It's already empty and everybody's auto warped out. Fantastic. Uh, And last, and I hadn't even heard any mutterings about this, there's a new space arena queue that has a solo or duo queue mode. So no more than two players can queue for this together in a pre-made group. And it's specifically to provide a more casual atmosphere where you don't have to worry that you're gonna queue in and just get wrecked by a full pre-made, like a team of five vapor scimitars that just ruin your day. You can now queue for a space arena battle, which can be, it'll be mixed factions, like five versus five or whatever. but you can't form a pre-made team for this particular mode. It's called solo or duo queue, and it can't be more than just like you and a buddy. Everybody else is pug. So like, I don't want to get in a PvP queue because I'm not a very good PvPer, and you know, 50% of the time, I'm going to be going up against a pre-made team that are probably on team speak together, kicking my butt. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Okay, okay, so this... This lowers the barrier of entry to PvP content for players. All right, Captain. So we want your feedback on your experiences with Season 9. There's been a lot to discuss here. There's been a lot of new content, PvEQs, a featured episode, of course, that we'll get to in detail in just a few moments with Al Captain Gecko Rivera himself. Uh, But we want to hear from you. So our second community question for the week, Captains, is asking... Well, what's your opinion been on the new Season 9 content? Anything from the featured episode to the new PvE cues? Share your thoughts with us in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the official post on the Star Trek Online forums. That wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's get to the final part of our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. 
Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. All right, Captains. Well, we'll welcome back Al, Captain Gecko Rivera for some super secret spoilers. So if you haven't played the new mission yet, stop listening now and then come back. We'll wait right here. Okay, now you played the mission and it was fantastic. All right, Al. So tell us about featured episode. Yes. So surface tension continues our star story from uh, from uh, sphere of influence and uh, so between stars, which uh, of course uh, featured uh, Tim Russ as Tuvok, and uh, and so uh, um, and now uh, he's back. He came back and uh, recorded a a few weeks ago his, uh, his for his uh, second round of recording for uh, surface tension. And it continues the story right from there because we kind of left it a little bit of a cliffhanger there. And and if you've already been watching, we kind of did a uh, on the on the I don't know if it's on the website, but I know I know Brandon tweeted it, and you can get you can catch it on YouTube the uh, last time on Star Trek Online mm-hmm. video. And if you haven't watched that, you should check it out. It kind of summarizes everything uh, that has happened up until this point, and and now the uh, so so Tim, so Tuvok has a called the summit because things were, were really tense at the end of the uh, last featured episode because everybody wants this other Jelona Dyson sphere that's deep in the uh, in the uh, in the Delta Quadrant and of course the Undine this was an Undine trick the whole time right the Undine had Cooper in there as a is infiltrating and trying to and just manipulating Tuvok to open the gateway so that way they could uh, they could come through and attack and force uh, the Alpha Quadrant because they Hate. They are completely xenophobic, right? And um, and if you play the um, Borg arc that has been remastered, although we've we've uh, alluded to in the past, um, you can you can you learn more clearly that the Iconians looks like have been kicking the hornet's nest, right? And have been making the Undine think that everybody in the Alpha Quadrant can't be trusted. And they've always felt that way, and the Iconians are just making it just are just making it easier for them to think that. So so the Undine are coming in to just to wipe out all of the Alpha Quadrant. And so you know the really the what happens is in this episode, um, since you've all already played it, is um, there's a conference that is that is called Tuvok Calls and and uh, um, the uh, all the the Klingons and the Federation and the Romulan Republic come here to talk about this threat and what to do about the Dyson Sphere. And everyone's saying, no, this is just, this is Federation nonsense. No, this is Klingon nonsense. And during the conference, the Undine invade. And they come through and they go and they attack, they attack Earth Space Dock. And so, um, so Earth Space Dock is under attack and other planets are under attack. And so you have to go back and you go to take to, Defend Earth Space Dock, and it's heavily damaged, so we have to rebuild it. Yeah. So, um, you know, in season nine, we released a new Earth Space Dock, and so it was this this uh, the the story gave us a great opportunity to kind of rebuild that. Um, so we don't blow up entire Earth Space Dock, but it's heavily damaged, and so during the episode, you see it's in it's in pieces, it's in shambles, um, and you go to you go then land on you fight off the force on, in space, and then you go down to the ground, and you go inside. Inside, um, inside Earth space dock, and it's all in shambles. Everybody, people are dead everywhere. There's big holes on the side 
first base dock and people are floating and the undine are everywhere and you don't and sometimes you think you're saving somebody and it's actually an undine and we got these really great new animations of the undines crawling down the walls like aliens right like crawling down jumping from the ceilings and crawling down the walls um and then uh, I'll, uh the the one one of the big reveals is do you guys remember uh you guys remember the you know the crafting guy on earth space dock yeah egg egg, we egg, call him yeah, egg. yeah the the yeah? Uh, the the guy from the just the Jeez, go back all the way to the tutorial. Yeah. Yeah, Egg. Yeah. He's been an Undine the whole time. No. He's he's it's Egg. It's yeah. been Egg. It's been Egg. The, no, you know, no wonder he gave me the biological sample. Yeah. Well, that guy. I've been carting biological samples to Memory Alpha for the Undine. Oh my God. Oh, so that's a good go, point. <laughs> right think, to the top. You've been, you've been think, you at first you think it might be it might be Quinn, and then but it's not, and then and and, and then you there's a and then and then. Uh, egg reveals himself as as undine it's also kind of our way to kind of revamp re, 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 relaunch crafting because yeah because now they can't trust that guy anymore we gotta <laughs> go bulldoze so, memory alpha was, just bulldoze was, the whole thing yeah and memory alpha will go away eventually and uh um or redone if, mm -hmm. if so yeah. so that's that's kind of it's kind of our little our little march that is like ah we're getting we're revamping crafting let's let's just kill egg right, right so <laughs> <laughs> so he's been an nice. undine the whole time. So, uh, so you defeat that, and there's a really cool boss fight there that was an interesting, uh, interesting boss mechanic that comes up with the, uh, with the fight with Egg, and then, and then after that's over, Tuvok gets a uh, gets a mental blast. So Cooper reaches out to him, right? Cooper, who's now like this, this, uh, uh, this nemesis of Tuvok, and Tuvok feels all this guilt and shame for letting Cooper manipulate him. So we get this really great. This really great cutscene, this really great uh, um, um, uh, psychic battle between Tuvok. This is all the cutscene between Tuvok and Cooper, and Cooper taunting him and saying there's nothing you can do, but really Tuvok is there in this psychic battle. The, the, the communication goes both ways, and Tuvok is able to peer into Cooper's mind and find out what the Undine's real plan was. Earth Space Dock was a diversion. They're going to blow up Kronos. And so. Everyone has to hightail mm -hmm. all the way to Quonos, and the big planet killer is coming into Quonos. And so uh, it's a huge, biggest, probably one of the biggest battles we've done, space battles over Quonos. And you get there, and but all of Earth's forces are scattered, right? Because they're defending everyone everywhere. And so it's only you and Voyager there. And, 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 and so, uh, so the Klingons are like, this is all that the Federation sent. We went and we helped Earth space talk, and this is all that you can send. And so they're really ticked off, and so you're fighting this whole battle. And of course, at the end of the battle, Sean shows up with the Enterprise, and we're like, only one ship. And then we see this huge bat armada of Federation ships come in, uh, and and then we have this really after this big fight, we do this really cool uh, uh, trench run thing. So what happens is like they're, they bring this big panic killers coming in, which is blowing up ships and blowing blowing up stuff all over Quonos, and it's going coming into position to take out take out Quonos and Sean says well I'm going to do the Independence Day thing and he launches in the Aquarius and he launches and, and you've got to protect him uh, and give him cover and so we, we get a little it's a kind of little gamey thing we put you on rails and we give you and we all, you send all your power and we put all your weapons on, on, on fire at will and cannon scatter volley and we just and, and soup up your engines and we just blast you down this, this tunnel like that's kind of like in the uh, it's kind of like in the uh, and they're featured up in the in the queue, and you and while you're covering, covering Sean in the Aquarius, while he tries to 
uh, crash it right into the center of the uh, of the uh, of the like, planet killer, like yeah, Commodore he, Decker, like Commodore yeah. Decker, yeah, 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 yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Commodore Decker, Independence Day goes in there and and blows it up, and and so, but we don't kill Sean. You beam him out at the last minute. You're able to Commodore Decker. You're able to Captain Kirk him out at the last minute. Pull him out and go back down to uh, to uh, to Kronos. You've saved the day, and and that's why the of course the season is called a new accord. Klingons see the sacrifice and understand the greater threat, and we end the war between uh, between the uh, between the Klingons and the Federation. It's and about right, time. It's about time, and while everybody is sitting there and celebrating and shaking hands, an Iconian shows up. Really <laughs> Iconian, and she and it's she, and she shows up and she gives you this big taunt speech, and she disintegrates the Klingon Council, and she says, "We'll be back." <laughs> And that's the end of that episode. Nice, but we but we have the there's the the, the alliance is sealed, and we're going to the Delta Quadrant to take them out. So we're going after them. That's the end of that episode. That's about forty five minutes. Um, and uh, the uh, what was the other the other bit? The other there another important bit. I, I missed an important. Oh, the really the really cool bit. The beginning episode. The beginning of the episode will start if you've, you've all seen it now. It's uh, and hopefully it's it, it'll be there because if not, it it would have been really cool. But <laughs> but the then when you play the episode, the first thing we play is we play the last time on Star Trek Online. We play the uh, play the trailer that you saw, that's that's currently on YouTube right now. So we play that to give you a little bit of background, and then we go a little, play a little bit more at the end. That's not on the that's not on the trailer online. We fade the black, and we change the calendar. And the next next thing you see is twenty four ten. So it's now twenty four ten. We advance the year. And then we play the then we play the trailer for it's about time for that too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then we play the trailer for then then we play the next cutscene for the beginning of the episode where you're flying to the Dyson Sphere and Tuvok is talking to you before you play the episode. So we advance the year, we end the war, we introduce the Iconian, we show them what kind of badasses they are. And uh, and and everyone's aligned and we're going to the Delta Quadrant, which is exactly what the Iconians didn't want. The Iconians job, they were wiped out. Hundred thousand years ago, because everybody band together against them, right? And so they've been trying to destabilize the quadrants forever to try to make sure that nobody is allied. That's why the clans and federations at war right now. They they, they destabilized that um, with all kinds of manipulation. And so now the, the the quadrant is aligned, and now going to the Delta Quadrant is exactly what the Iconians don't want. They still have the Undine uh, fooling around. We've got the space mucus floating around now. I mean, that's yes. not, that's inconvenient. Yes, it's inconvenient, and and sure, uh, not saying that everything is all roses, but the the major thing is that the Romulans and the Klingons and the Federations are allied at the end of this, right? right. So, which is the three major forces. So, well, and I, the Undine, Undines are just patsies of the Iconians. So. Right, and, and eventually they'll be yeah. jealous of that too. They'll be they'll be a little perturbed. Once yeah, and I want to make it clear: Undine are not allies with the Iconians. They are right. patsies of them. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I've we I, we've anticipated the end of the war for a long time. It's uh, not a huge secret, right? It's been no, fine, no, right? no, no, no. And, and I think a lot of people put together with the name the name of the season, right? For, so. Yeah, that, a new accord. I mean, they're getting new Hondas, right? Captain yes, Sean's driving Hondas, a Honda. Yes, yes that's, that's <laughs> what I thought. He's he's turning in the Enterprise in a two thousand a twenty four ten Accord, right? Yeah. Because um, yeah. Honda's still making cars in the future. Well, like I said, it's it's been a long time coming. The 1701 H, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I do so, find it interesting that the only way the uh, Aquarius can do damage is by slamming into another ship. 
That's its new special ability. That, that, there you go. Ramming speed. Wait, that's already a power. Oh, okay. So the Undine and the Alachi and the... Oh, what's the other one? Are, are all subjugated by Iconians. No, 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 no. No? no, no, the Undine are not subjugated by Iconians. Passes. The Undine don't even know anything about the Iconians, really. They're just they've just been duped by the Iconians because they're so they're so they're so xenophobic. They're so they're so uh, you know they they the Borg, the Borg came into fluidic space and they think everybody in non-fluidic space is 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 scary, right? Everyone over there is, can't be trusted, right? So it was really easy. And Janeway tries to say, no, no, we're cool, man, we're cool. And they says, what? How can you be cool? You got a Borg right there on your ship, right? You know, you guys are all, and you made a Borg alliance. You gave, you're using their nanoprobes. You're obviously working together. So they're just completely, they're paranoid and xenophobic. Um, then Janeway kind of smoothed that over a little bit. But it wasn't really hard at all for the Iconians. As you, if you play the episodes, if you play the, uh, the, the episodes, revamps. the revamps, you'll see in that, in that, uh, a, uh, a spoiler for that is, you know, at the end, when you go into fluidic space, um, there's a you'll see the the fluid space coral reefs that are out there and there'll be all these ships that are crashed on the side of it and what they are they all got they're all federation ships and ferengi ships and green ships and all these ships but they're fake they're all fake ships they all have iconian signatures on them so they uh, the, the iconians have been making all these fake ships and sending them into fluid space and uh, and kicking the hornet's nest and, and so the undine don't trust anything that's going on in non-fluidic space. So they're just completely patsies. The Alachi, the Solene, the Daywans, the Daywans are the original inhabitants of, of Taldewa, and uh, the Daywan, the, the, the Solene are the builders of the sphere and the click clicks, uh, as well as the Alachi. They're all servitor races. They, they worship the Iconians as, as gods. They, they, uh, um, and there's more, there's more to that story that will be revealed. Um, come expansion expansion, expansion. Two, two. so it's like another yeah. dominion basically it's kind of like a dominion although it's the dominion where uh, the 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 jenadar were grown um the, these these uh these races uh, just just uh, domesticated they were yeah they were enslaved and domesticated and 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 came on yeah they weren't they weren't genetically made um but uh, yeah there's a little bit of similarity to the to the dominion there but each one of those races all have kind of their role, right? The Alachis are their soldiers, the Solonese are their scientists. The Daywans were butlers. They were really, they were, they were under, they were low-tech, the Daywans. So um, if you play the Romulan arc, you learn about the Daywans and how they, you know, they, they were on this race as slaves, as like laborers. And then when the races came and bombarded Taldewa, the Iconians left through the gateway, and the Daywans were left behind. And... After a hundred years, they they try to get the gateway to work again, um, to follow their gods, and a natural disaster. They couldn't get it working right, and that's why. And then they had all this huge planetary disaster. That's why the planet was irradiated and not inhabitable for so for 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 a hundred thousand years. Um, and that's what the end in, in the end of uh, um, in the sphere of influence in the beginning of sphere of influence. With when you're with Worf, they try to activate the gate again, and it also almost breaks. But that's that's what you do in that episode, and then you reset the gateway network, and everything is everything is fine. It was just kind of a failsafe the Iconians had built into there, so no one could follow them. Right, fine, fine, being a relative term. Yeah, as, fine, as, as you term. light up six thousand gates over your head, like uh oh, you Romulus isn't blown up. Uh, well, okay, <laughs> fine in that extent. Right, fine okay, in that yeah. extent. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's 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 the Iconian things, and we don't. And but this will be the first time you'll actually they're in in uh, in one of the episodes in in. Uh, in 
if you play the Feder- and play the Romulans, you get to see a statue of uh, Iconian on um, uh, the episode with Taurus back in um, back by Hobus. There's a statue of an Iconian there, and it's kind of a little caricature. It's almost like Easter Island looking statue of them. But you get a little idea what they look like. But this is the first time we'll re- we'll reveal them in uh, in uh, in this uh, latest featured episode. So. Well, I'll say it before, and I'll say it, I'll say it again. I think you guys are taking pretty good care of the prime timeline, as far as I'm concerned. So a lot of you guys are pulling stuff from all the series and bringing things together and tying up a lot of loose ends that were left of 28 years of uh, you know Star Trek uh, uh, TV show making. So uh, kudos to you. Well done. I hope everybody uh, uh, has enjoyed it. It's uh, this was this mes- this episode was made by uh, by Kate, and Kate also did uh, did Sphere of Influence, and you everyone oh. in party has met Kate. Yeah, we uh, should we should have her back. Tim Russ, of course, uh, reprises his role, and this time you get to fly with uh, with Voyager. Uh, Voyager, yeah, Voyager uh, snuck out to live uh, a few a few. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a last month or something. Voyager accidentally uh, started yes. showing up. It's, yeah, it's, getting pulling up left and right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't finished yet, <laughs> but it's finished now. So it's yep. uh, you'll get to fly with that, and that'll be that's kind of fun to fly with Voyager, and then eventually the other flagships as well. Does the so. Voyager ship have any uh, special powers that the player uh, intrepid? It got them all. It has the blade of armor. It has uh, it has the uh, photonic shockwave. Um, and a ton of other stuff. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty beefed up. So, it's not a regular. It it's not a regular intrepid. It's not a regular intrepid. Better yeah. beaks. It's flying my wing. Yeah. <laughs> Better be pretty good. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thanks, Al, for stopping in again and uh, giving us the uh, the background on the uh, new show or on the new uh, episode. Sure. I hope everyone enjoys it. And uh, it was a real blast to make, and it was a big challenge. And uh, and. Uh, We've, uh, I hope everyone's really excited about what's to come because uh, we'll be going really deep into the Delta Quadrant and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to explore once we get there. Cool. All right, Al, thanks for stopping by again. And now let's open up hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains. So we're at the part of the show where we hear back from you and review your feedback. And just as a quick reminder, last week's community questions for episode 170 were do you feel that fans of trek can be a little too hard on one another what are your thoughts on the hyper-focused nature of the new reputation track rewards a step in the right direction or will it make it too specialized and therefore useless and our third community question which only a few people answered was uh for your ideas on our new field notes title and we've had a a few good suggestions but we could certainly use some more so on the first question, we got our first piece of feedback. Go ahead, Cookie. Okay. At Starbase UGC tweeted us via at STO Priority One. Bravo on the Trek It Out soapbox. It's something I've been saying for a long while. Well, me too, also. Ben Churchill emailed us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I would like to thank Cookie for talking about the growing elitist attitude within Trek culture. I thought it was a great piece written on a subject that is very prominent in today's society, which is bullying. I'd like to think that these people are the minority and that there are more people out there who are true Trekkies or Trekkers that will accept people for who they are, whichever Trek they're into. I also believe that Gene Roddenberry would support anyone who likes Star Trek, whether they've seen all the shows and films or just one episode of Voyager. 
I believe he is a true Trekkie as he had the open-mindedness to create a futuristic society where everyone was equal. Celestia7 writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Ooh, cookie segment. Nice. I have to agree on what Cookie said regarding it. We are fans of Star Trek because we love it, no matter which generation we started. Even myself, my girlfriend and brother, where we started during Generations, where my father started from TOS and my mother took interest during JJ Trek, but we didn't complain about it. We love it because it's Star Trek. It's just like how some fans of Trek don't like Star Trek Online because it's non-canon anymore. But really, how canon can you go? And plus, STO is a game after all. Candace Black commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, hearing Cookie's little segment on Trek elitism, I have to stop by and say, bravo, Cookie. I can't agree more with the expressed sentiments, and I grew up watching TOS, reruns, and TNG. Now, up on our second community question from episode 170, what were your thoughts on the hyper-focused nature of the new Reputation track? Uh, is it a step in the right direction, or will it make it too specialized and therefore useless? Cookie, why don't you tell us who wrote in first? On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Adam Lejeune writes, Regarding reputation rewards, I think the new flexibility could make specialization viable, especially if future reputation rewards specialize in other weapon types. If this is the case, I support it fully as it would encourage pre-battle preparation, which to me would improve the experience of feeling in command of a ship rather than playing with a toy ship. The Grand Nagus writes in via PriorityOnePodcast.com, In regards to rep system, I hate to say it, but they simply don't appeal to me. If we're being honest with ourselves, they are really just vendors. You go grind the currency needed, then you trade it in to these vendors for rewards. That isn't content to me. It's a purchase. That might sound strange, but it just feels like the game is becoming less of a world and more of a bunch of instances where the new content is through queues and the rep systems are completely through the UI rather than dealing with an NPC representative. So I want to save this because Azurian Star writes in. Actually, I'm going to jump right to Azurian Star because he he talks a little bit about this uh, in feedback he gave. Last week, Azurian Star wrote in uh, and suggested that uh, that the that the content created season to season it does not last. Right, it, it you play it and then you forget about it or, and just rehash the same content until the next season. And, and we posed, I directly asked them, okay, what's an example of of of, uh, of of content you're talking about that could last for a while? Right, that that would satiate that desire. Grand Nagus suggests that Stowe is becoming instance, and Azurian Star suggests that uh, there isn't content that is true to an MMO experience. And Azurian Star emailed us and wrote, um, what truly defines the game isn't the grind or the boredom, but what makes you want to come back to it. I bet every one of you and the listeners has at least one game that you got tired of because of it getting boring. But you kept going back because it's it offered something other games didn't. Honestly, I think modern MMOs lost that spirit. They become too focused on the nows rather than the laters. They need to get away from cues. We need to get away from the storyline constraints and really let us out there and truly be a captain of our own destiny. He goes on to share some ideas like shuttle races, open PvP cues, gambling like poker. Um... But he writes, the king of all the ideas for long-term is exploration. We've been stuck in this little box known as Stowe for four years. Star Trek wasn't always about war, but the unknown. 
If we wanted that, we had to go into exploration clusters and repeat the same 40-odd missions over and over. It's long overdue that they let us out there. As I said on the forums many times, this easily could work in the favor of the Foundry, players creating their own content while Cryptic works on canonical races and stories. So, Jace, you know, we, we said that, you know, we mentioned MMOs last week and we said that, you know, what MMO is it, it doesn't rely on its updates, you know, like it's needed. Um, but I'm starting to see their point that, that Star Trek Online is becoming instanced, right? Everything is, is now a reputation system, but there is no exploring. Like, I don't have to travel far to get things done. It's not like a conventional MMO where you're going zone to zone. It's, it's well, instanced. Yeah, as far as the flavor of exploration, I mean, part of it was MMO was a newer genre there, but... I've never had an exploration-type experience that matched trying to travel all the way across the continent at a low level in, say, the original EverQuest, where you barely knew what was out there, there weren't a lot of shortcuts, and the ones that there were, you kind of had to finagle or or get someone's assistance with. Um, And that was a real kind of achievement. Now, you know, I click Transwarp to the Delta Quadrant. I I think that... You know, we it would it's high time that exploration kind of get a revamp. That there there is that sandbox nature of the MMO. You know, I, I in other MMOs that I've played, it, it doesn't feel like I'm going from project to project. It yeah, sure, going zone to zone, but here it it feels it's getting very um, chore right. Okay, now I got to do the now I got to do the reputation system for the Undine. If you want the Undine, you have to play the missions several times to earn the the currency to then submit for an exchange um i really i I think that it's time that exploration get a revamp and that would inject the trek life back into into what's happening in star trek online not to say that we're missing it but it's on a dangerous and it's on a slippery slope and i would really love to see you know forget pvp forget you know space forget poker um I think exploration really needs to be in the hands of the player. And, you know, they mentioned the foundry. You know, what foundry? there should be a foundry sector uh, where it's, uh, you know, Beta Z and, and all these other, you know, um, founding Federation planets that could be used as a, a, a bed for the foundry. And players can, can explore and feel and become a captain and, and uh, you know, some type of... Um, I remember what was it in, in the Old Republic? You not Old Republic. There was um, a Star Wars game that, depending on the choices you made, would 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 earn you a rank closer towards the dark side or closer towards the, towards the light side. Um, maybe something like that needs to happen in Star Trek Online. You know what what kind of captain will you be? Will you be a uh, a diplomatic captain or will you be a guns blazing captain? Tawani commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, It is too hyper-focused. Sadly, I think that's how Cryptic will go. I don't want to grind for hyper-specific items. It just bores me. The way they're going, IMHO is just a huge turnoff. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but uh, you see traits that are geared towards the Undine. Some of the gear is geared towards the Undine, and the rep gives you better movement in fluidic space. So this one just seems to have more strongly themed this is what you want to be doing to fight the undine which makes sense in a, in a way but in in play it means that once you've finished all the content you are now perfectly geared for that content that you just finished and you know jace you mentioned also last week uh that you're the type of player that likes to kind of be well-rounded right so that 
you don't and, and I, I'm this I, at least I am the same way too I mean I like to just have an overall strong build that I know I can get through content you know I don't want to worry about having to switch to Undine I don't want to worry about having to switch to my Borg set uh, because I haven't had to worry about it for the last three and a half years four years now maybe if if we tie this into our com ongoing conversation uh, on the blog post about difficulty ratings you know if the content to, to complete the content effectively on say elite required you or de facto required you to be geared up like that that would sort of make sense you maybe get partly through the reputation system on normals to get to get the gear to be able to do the elites but it, from what I've seen, that's not really necessary. I mean, yeah, we struggled when we did it on Tribble a little bit, but it was also brand new content to us. I don't, I don't think that anything I've seen so far would be uh, especially where I need to change my gear to do it. That's a good idea. To, that in order to do the elites, you'd need the gear. All right, Captains, we also received some other feedback uh, from outside of the community questions, just overall uh, comments about the show, and we thank you for it. Lots of lore commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I just want to thank with all my heart the devs for allowing kit parts and armor as costumes. I can now finally display armor and even customize a darn good realistic and immersive battlesuit with equipment pieces for my KDF characters. It is something I craved since I started playing this game. What is your opinion on this? Skiffy, I know you have an opinion. You are so into fashion in this game. It's the true end game. The tailor is the true end game of STO. Okay, Sano Skyrat writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Jace, your stuff is gold, but it's kind of overwhelming. And I listened to it a few times. Maybe a video? Mm -hmm. Sanak, I appreciate it. Um... It is a little dense. We are definitely planning to supplement that with blog posts. Uh, unfortunately, some real life issues got in the way of me posting one this week. I apologize for that. We will have it before we put up another Field Notes episode. And we definitely are interested in doing video Field Notes. We just are looking for assistance on the video production side right now. So if anybody knows of anybody that wants to do video editing, we have somebody that uh, has written in uh, with interest. So hopefully everything pans out and we'll have some videos for you all to watch. All right. We've got one from Taco Fangs at Tumor Boy via Twitter to our at STO Priority One handle. I can listen to you say my name for hours at Cookie Cupcakes, especially with harps. Now I wish I would have said it a little more. On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Dugan writes, A great episode, but I have a few comments. Small fleets should in no way get systems to help them level. Small slash single person fleets are counterintuitive to the reason of putting a fleet system in place. If you want the benefits of a large fleet, then those fleets should consider recruiting more players. Dugan also commented on our field notes segment and suggested the new title of Command School, which is very in flavor. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm kind of liking that one. All right, so we have one coming up, and Cookie, go ahead and read it. And we're going to have a special guest on the show to, to address this uh, feedback. And uh, Cookie, why don't, you, uh, why don't you read the feedback for our special guest here? Woody Valley wrote to us via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I've been playing your Foundry missions, Tony. 
It might be all good to go on priority one and say, we know about it, stop exploiting the foundry. But how many of the players who exploit listen to Priority One or any other STO-related podcasts? What is the good of preaching the message to the saints when the message is meant for the sinners? Did anyone from Cryptic or Perfect World say anything on the Reddit posting saying what Gecko just said? Joining us to uh, to talk about Foundry is our uh, resident Foundry author, uh, Tony, uh, who is also now the host of uh, Guard Frequency. So, Tony, and also was very, very graciously willing to interview Al Captain Gecko Rivera with Skiffy uh, during the closing show of Les Miserables that I was involved in. So, Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I had a great conversation with Al about it, and the, the, his Woody Valley's point is well taken. I mean, it doesn't do Al or me or anybody any good to sh- you know waggle a finger at the at the exploiters when clearly they're not listening to the show. But the you don't waggle your finger at the cheaters; you kick them out. Um, and uh, like every other game or every other real-world environment, you have a certain level of cheating that is going to happen, and then you have to deploy your resources to either stop it or get rid of the people doing it, and you have to pick and choose those battles. You'll let it go on if it's just kind of under the radar and it's not really upsetting the game balance, but if you're on Reddit and you're telling people how to do it and you're bragging about that you are doing it, you need to be made an example of and my overall point to Al was enough of that has gone on over the past three years, however long the Foundry's been out, maybe it's time to rethink the rewards. Maybe it's time to say, you know what, this is not going to work out. We, the, the Foundry editing system is broken, and the Foundry reward system is also broken. How's about we turn off the rewards for a while get the editing system working peachy keen fine, let people design and advertise missions that people want to play, then turn the rewards back on now that you have content that you can discover and missions that you can play if you want to play and ways for the team to get their hooks into missions that are exploitable because the team themselves has more data about what kind of missions are out there. So that was my overall point. What about all right? So my first question is: is what is Neverwinter doing? And maybe that's a discussion for another night. But what about if missions get voted up, right? They, and the the missions that the the top ten missions that are voted in the Foundry are reviewed by the staff and played through by the staff, and then those missions get rewards. And then the next time, and then the next ten, the next month are played, and you know by the by the staff, and then those ten missions get rewards. And so. By the end of a year, you have 120 missions from the Foundry that are rewarded, are rewardable because they have been vetted by the, the Star Trek Online team. There's no way to, to exploit it, right? There's nothing in – or there's nothing in the mission that would be an exploit. Why, why not do something like that? They're, they're all wonderful ideas, but unfortunately they take staff involvement. The The concept of the Foundry is that it's completely run by the player base and whatever you know algorithm they decide – gets the number of stars to get you in the top 50 that you can be discovered whatever algorithm it is that decides how many uh, dilithium crystals you get or how many xp or how many loot uh, drops you get before the system caps you on loot drop they don't want to touch it with people they don't want to touch it with staff they want it to be a community driven tool which is a fine goal i think it's it's just not anywhere close to being there the correct order to do this is Fix the editing system so that you can make missions and get interesting 
uh, interested parties to play your content, then implement the rewards when people have uh, the tools to make the missions they want to make and advertise it to the people that want to play it. Make it discoverable, make it findable, make it searchable, so that people are playing the types of missions that Cryptic wants the Foundry to be used to make. Well, Tony, you and I talked about this the other day. I mean, based on the known exploits out there right now, I really don't see any reason why uh, flipping the rewards off and turning it into a reputation system right now wouldn't uh, wouldn't work. Exactly. The, the the exploration reputation system. Now, what your 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 dilithium re- rewards are gated uh, on a time basis, like they always are, eight thousand a day, or or and on top of that, whatever marks you have to turn in to get the dilithium rewards are gated on a cooldown. You get the one big one every day, like you do on the reputation system now, and you can have as many of the tiny ones as your little heart desires. And each little tiny reward is 10 marks, and you have to get 100 marks to turn it in for a dilithium uh, credit or whatever. So even if you get, uh, even if you're, and that's on a cooldown too, so that's on an hour cooldown. So you can get one 10 10 thing, uh, you know, uh, 10 mark reward per hour. So... Yeah, it would solve a tons of problems if they wanted to do it that way, I think. Um, I'll, I'll let Al tell me why I'm wrong about that. but it's, And it's not even about necessarily about Dilithium. I know that's the current uh, thing that everybody wants yeah. out of the Foundry. But if they do a reputation system, there's going to be a, a whole new subset of rewards, just like they did with Undine. Uh, so, no, I mean, why, there, why there might be some be? really cool stuff why, there that you'll get out of it that's not Dilithium. No, no. Why would there have to be? There wouldn't have to be. We would just, well, just kill. To... We would just kill the exploit problem that way. That would be enough of a goal. That to to me, that's enough of a goal right there. Al complains about all the time that people that gets wasted by the exploiters going in, and so foundry development time is is spent on squashing the exploit rather than improving the system. That's completely backwards. Pull the rewards, work on the system first, then put the rewards back in, or fix the rewards for once and for all by putting it in some sort of additional time gate system. Then devote the development time to the to the uh, to the system itself. Either way, you get development time to the system, not squashing exploiters. All right, Tony. Well, thank you so very much for stopping by and and, and addressing that question. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And coming to us via Jace, Flighty Mouse writes, "I'm glad I get to use my own ship. I mean, it's fun flying the new ships and all, but you'd think the captain of the new Super Enterprise or whatever would at least have his hotbar set up correctly." So this is in reply to the new featured episode, and, and we're glad that Flighty Mouse is uh, writing into the show. So hi, Flighty. Uh, and before we finish, we want to give a shout-out to at the underscore Firkins. Uh, he was the man who pulled the information out of Garrett Wong. They'll be involved with Star Trek Online later this year. So way to go pulling that information from Mr. Harry Kim himself. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One. Or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 171 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on TrekRadio.net. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. 
Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses to our community questions in the comments section on our site or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. And now, don't forget, you can call us and leave us a message. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and find out how. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses as we cover conventions on location. We'd love to see you at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your ad handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And don't forget to check out Priority One Podcast sister production, Guard Frequency. We cover the Star Citizen game from Chris Roberts. You know, it, it's a pretty good show, and you really should check it out. A very special thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and this week's audio assistants, Midnight Shadow 7 and Ben Churchill. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for talking to us about Season 9. A very special thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and of course, Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, Captains, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapon. Engage. Cookie, who's our first uh, feedbacker? Well, I don't know what. Cookie, who's our friend? <laughs> so the you know again we've got some new of the modules for your tactical tip. <laughs> what did you just say? Uh, <laughs> tactical ticks or something. Uh, I was I I just it came out and I wasn't gonna fight it so. Um, it. Just let it go. Wacky waving, fighting the third and tube man, undine the core ships. Put the nick in a box. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
so <laughs> so um the <laughs> everybody listening just went what did i just hear about it because step one put the nick in the box yeah the nick. exactly here's where i think that people <laughs> make it open the box so Nicor, get it. Wait, we were all right. Yeah, we have it. to tell everybody now what happened. So what, yeah. the last during the week, we were talking about the whole Undine lockbox thing, uh, you know, amongst ourselves. And I, I don't remember who thought of it, but we thought about doing the um, the Justin Timberlake SNL short. The your was it Jace? I don't. Who remember. was it? So whoever did it knows. So well, I wouldn't was. suggest something so unprofessional. Oh okay, yeah, I'm, right. I'm yeah, appalled. shut up. I'm shut appalled up. that you would even suggest <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it was Jace. Plausible deniability, my friend. <laughs> so we were talking about doing a parody of Nick Nicor, right? The Nicor ship in a box, right? So we were we, we've been talking about doing it. I don't think we're going to do it. AKA I think we should. I think we should. It's the second best idea we've ever had. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Which one? Was, guard what, frequency being the first. I was going to say getting rid of Tony being the first. <laughs> that was a pretty good move. Oh, no. We should check that out. <laughs> did I really say Wang? Did I say Wang or did I say Wang? And before we close out the show, a big shout out to at the underscore Perkins. Uh, he was the man behind pulling the spoiler at from Garrett Wong. Uh, the way they're going, IMHO is just a huge turnoff. <laughs> what? It's in my humble opinion. Yeah, I know that. Everybody, everybody <laughs> knows that. <laughs> okay, sorry, yes, I. Sorry. Like you saying S-T-O, S-T-O. Will, will they know that Star Trek online if you just say S-T-O? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like saying Stowe, okay? I just don't like it. Ugh. I know, I had to say it because that guy had it in his name, too. It felt so weird. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. You know, I find it insulting that you're all like, Skiffy! And then, and then, well, Elijah, tell us what we have in store this week. And let's check out what happened in Stow News. Can you say that one more time? It sounded like, what happened? Let's check out what happened in Stow News. Chase, are you finally drinking with us? With mine's friends. And now let us check out what has happened in STO News. You see, you did it like Cookie. Now you did it like Cookie. Once what? you know and are comfortable with I what it is you're about to say. I do not sound like that. You guys are terrible. Taco Fangs at Tuckerboy. Taco Fangs at Tuckerboy. Taco Fangs at Tuckerboy.